So today we're going to be continuing our Revival Stronger Than Ever series with a message titled The Unseen War in Heaven. We're going to be going through a lot of scripture today and we're going to be going through um, a story that's really going to speak to our hearts today because it seems like a lot of us just seem to be going through uh, things like this in our own lives. So we're going to uh, start out in Second Chronicle, or excuse me, First Chronicles 17, and then go to Second Chronicles chapters 21 through 23. If you want to mark that in your Bibles. So I have some good news and some bad news for us today. How many people like the bad news first? How many people like the good news first? <laughs> well, the bad news is is that it just seems like our world's full of bad news. It just doesn't seem like you can turn on the radio, the TV, internet, anything else without reading bad news. But the good news is, is that our world's always been full of bad news, hasn't it? You say, oh, how is that good news? Because the bad news never seems to prevail in the end. One of the worst bad news situations that we ever happened was December 7, 1941. The Japanese Navy attacked the U.S. fleet at Pearl Harbor. They sank almost every single one of our battleships. And back then, the battleship was the main part of the U.S. military. Aircraft carriers were just coming into vogue, but they weren't really used that much. And that was the good news, is the aircraft carriers, they were out training with them, and, they didn't, and none of them got destroyed. And the good news is, a couple years later, those aircraft carriers went against the Japanese fleet and wiped them out at the Battle of Midway. So ultimately, we won the war. And that's kind of how history is. If you wait long enough, eventually the good will triumph over the bad. If you consider even our faith, on Good Friday, Jesus died. Now, if you were going to stop at Good Friday, you would think that's the worst news and event possible. How could anything good come from that? Well, three days later, Jesus rose again. And that was the best news that we ever had in history. On top of that, he even ascended to the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit to come and live inside each and every one of us. And then he launched the church, which is why we're all sitting here this morning. Bad news, is al or bad news is always followed by good news, it seems, because the forces of good in this universe are stronger than the forces of evil. And that's an important point that I want you to remember as we go through today's lesson. Ezra is the author of the book of Chronicles. You remember that there's a book in your Bible named Ezra. And he also he wrote that one and he wrote Chronicles. He, he and his people were emerging from a huge national crisis. Remember, they've all been sitting over in Babylon, away from their homes, away from their God, away from everything that they knew for 70 years. Now he's leading them back. So they need some good news. They need some hope. They need some inspiration. They need reminder that their great God works all things out for the good of those who love him. And so Ezra teaches them on the way over, teaches them the history of Israel before their exile. The real life stories, the good, the bad, the ugly, with the real life lessons that came with it. And one of those stories was a really bad news to a really good news story. It involves mayhem, it involves a bad marriage, it involves murder over three generations of people. 
And during its worst moment for seven years, seven years, imagine that, people had no hope. Everything was bad. Does that sound kind of familiar? Does it sound like we're entering into a seven-year time or, or a four-year time or a ten-year time or, or just a time where we're not going to have a lot of hope right now? We've been wrestling with this for months now. Coronavirus is going to go away. Coronavirus is, is, you know, the shot will cure everything. Or maybe we can stop masking before Christmas. Well, Christmas came and we're all still in masks. You know, everything just seems to be going yes, no, yes, no. And we have no sure thing to hold on to right now. Ezra's people wrestled with this for decades. Remember, they had to deal with this for 70 years. So how did they cope and how did God rescue? And that's what Ezra wants to teach us this morning. I'm going to start out with a word of prayer. Father God, I think that today's message is going to speak to a lot of people. We are going to go into a section of scripture that, that just makes it sound like there is no hope. The enemy has won. Even the plan of salvation has been derailed. But you sit behind all of that chaos with a smile on your face because you know what's going to happen. You know how you're going to move in the future. So Father, I just ask, Lord, that you help take any hearts today that might be trembling with anxiety a little bit and place within them a rock-solid confidence in your goodness, in your plan, and in your timing. Father God, we just ask this in your name. Amen. So this story this morning begins with a promise. In 1 Chronicles chapter 17, we are in um, the, the reign of King David. One day, God says to David, in verse 10 of 1 Chronicles 17, he says, I declare to you that the Lord himself will build, an ans will build a house for you. When your time comes to be with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant, who is one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will not remove my faithful love from him as I removed it from the one who was before you. I will appoint him over my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne will be established forever. Now there's two big, huge promises in this passage from God to David. One is that there would always be a descendant of David ruling over the nation of Israel. And the second is that one of these descendants eventually would rule God's kingdom forever. In other words, that the Messiah would be born of David's line. He would be a descendant of David. And throughout the Old Testament, there were prophecies that one day the Messiah would come. And from this day in 1 Chronicles 17 onward, everyone knew that when the Messiah came, he would be a descendant of King David. And if there's anyone who kept track of their family trees, it was the Jewish people. They would be able to tell you their family tree all the way back to Adam. Okay, so they, they were very much in, in keeping up with their, um, with their ancestry. Ancestry.com has nothing on the Jewish people keeping track of their ancestry. So the Israelites, they knew this. They treasured this promise in their hearts. 
But you know what? They were not the only ones who knew about this promise. The enemy knew about this promise. Satan himself wrote this down and then immediately started to try to derail it. But you know what? Satan is not all-knowing. Sometimes we try to place him at the same level as God is. That's kind of like putting an ant on the same, a single ant on the same level as us. If an ant comes up and, and we see it and it walks up and just shakes its little fist at us, we can kind of go, no more ant. That's kind of how Satan is to God. Okay, he is a created being. He has no power over the top of God. The only thing Satan can do is try to strike at the heart of God by messing with us. So when this prophecy is given, Satan is, is clued in that the Messiah must come from the lineage of David. Satan also knows one other thing. God has to be true to his word. God is not a man that he should lie, the son of man that he should repent. He knows that if he can extinguish the line of David, he can present, prevent the Messiah from coming and saving mankind from their sins. So in 841 B.C., Satan sees and seizes a strategic opportunity to eliminate the line of David. And this is how it happened. Remember, two promises. David will never lack an heir on the throne, and the heir of David and Messiah will rule over God's kingdom forever. This is what Satan's going to start attacking now. So fast forward from there 150 years to the time of King Jehoshaphat, the person we talked about last week. And as promised, we're going to talk about his big mistake that he made this week, setting up a very bad marriage. Now during the course of his reign, Jehoshaphat made what seemed to be a logical and expedient decision to secure an alliance with his greatest threat, which was the, North, the kingdom of northern Israel. And remember, Israel is a northern kingdom. They've largely turned their backs on God. Okay, They didn't have a single good king rule over them. The southern kingdom called Judah, the map again on the back of your bulletin, um, Judah has had on-again, off-again relationship with God. They've had some good kings, some bad kings, usually bad, bad, good, or bad, 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 good. Um, the good kings would bring them back to their relationship with God, immediately followed by somebody who would take them in the other direction. So they're currently being ruled by Jehoshaphat, who's a, he's, a, he's a pretty decent king. He wants to follow God in his ways. Now back in these days, one of the ways that they would seal alliances with people was through treaties and one of the ways they sealed that alliance was to marry into the family of the person that you're making the um the treaty with because you're not going to break an alliance if you knew your son or daughter was over in that other kingdom who was essentially now a hostage they were your guarantee that you're going to fulfill your part of that treaty and in this case in order to secure his northern border from any threat from Israel, Jehoshaphat decides that he's going to marry the king of Israel's daughter named Ahab, whose daughter was named Athaliah. I had to read that because some of these, words, some of these names are really hard to say. Now follow me carefully for the next couple of minutes, and we're going to learn a lesson that's going to save us a lot of heartache, I think, especially in future generations. At this time in history, Israel is, div is divided again into those two kingdoms, 
Israel and Judah. The northern kingdom is ruled by a king named Ahab. The southern kingdom ruled by Jehoshaphat. Like Jehoshaphat, Ahab wants to secure a border to his north. And that's where that map is going to come in a little handy. To his north, you have Phoenicia and Syria. And the main um, king, kingdom in that area of Phoenicia is Sidon. So he makes a treaty with the king of Sidon. Sidon's king's name was Ethbaal. Eth meaning with, and Baal meaning the god of the Canaanites. So the, the, the really bad bull god of the Canaanites is tied in with this king. He is a worshiper of this god. Ethbaal's daughter's name, and here you go if you've been around church at all, is named Jezebel. Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've heard that name before. I mean, just the name Jezebel can drop the temperature in the room a few degrees because she was such an evil person. Very, very infamous woman. Ahab married Jezebel to make friends with the king of Sidon. Together, Ahab and Jezebel have a daughter named Athaliah. And meanwhile, Jehoshaphat and his wife have a son named Jehoram. To cement their alliance, Ahab and Jehoshaphat marry their children to one another, which means that the wife of the crown prince of Judah, the nation that's trying to follow after God, the wife of this person is not a follower of God, but a follower of the worst pagan demonic god there ever was named Baal. So everything is fine, though. As long as Jehoshaphat's in charge, he can maintain the, the, the status quo. He can keep them focused on God until the day he died. On that day, Jehoram became king and Athaliah became queen. But unfortunately, this is not a and they lived happily ever after story. It's more like then came the huge disaster kind of story. In 2 Chronicles chapter 21, Jehoram's first act as king was to do what no Israelite king had done in the past. But instead he followed what his wife probably told him to do, was to wipe out his entire family. Man, woman, and child killed everybody but himself to make sure that no one could threaten his throne. That was abhorrently evil in the eyes of God. And remember, that the promise of God rested on the lineage of David. Jehoram's now the only person left and any sons that he might have. Well, later on that same year, in 841 B.C., Jehoram dies in battle. And when that happened back then, just like if a president today was assassinated, if you have an enemy, you would attack right at that point. Because there'd be chaos in the chain of command, and that's what happened. Judah is invaded by her neighbors. And in 2 Chronicles 21.17, it says that they carried off all the possessions they found in the king's palace. And also his sons and wives. Not a son was left to him except Azahiah, his youngest son. So the Philistines, the people that live on the coast, they come and they, they ransack Judah. And again, goes down to one. Only one descendant of David is left. And the kingdom and the entire messianic line 
The fact that Jesus would be there to go to the cross from us as a descendant of David, it's all hanging by a single thread. And 2 Chronicles chapter 22 opens with, Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Azahiah his youngest son king in his place, because the troops that had come with the Arabs to the camp had killed all the older sons. So Azahiah, son of Jehoram, became king of Judah. Azahiah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned for one year in Jerusalem. But note this. What was his mother's name? Athaliah. So if you've been paying attention, you know what's about to happen. After a few months of him being king, Azahiah is killed in battle. And you're thinking, well, he was 22, maybe he had some sons. Well, he did. But they're all very young. You remember, he's 22. His, his oldest son is probably eight or nine at the most. So the clo person closest to the throne, the person who was going to, that if everyone else disappeared, who would be able to take that throne, was the God-hating, Baal-worshipping queen, Athaliah. Keep in mind, she's not Jewish. She's a daughter of Jezebel. She's not a worshiper of Israel's kings or Judah's rightful God. She worships the worst possible God you could worship. Demon, sac demon acts of sex and child sacrifice and just a whole bunch of horrible things that went with worshiping Baal and, and his kind of wife, Asherah. So you're thinking that this is where Satan's plan is coming into fruition. He's been working behind the scenes for 150 years to derail the plan of salvation. And it looks like he's just about to have his goal. And, when, and in 2 Chronicles 22.10 it says, When Athaliah, Azahiah's mother, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to annihilate all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. So Satan did everything he could to put the right person in charge to seemingly want to wipe out God's people. It's now happening. This plan, that, this long vision that he's had all these years is coming into fruition. She is killing every single descendant of David. And you might be thinking, well, it must be so much for God's promise. After all, the last descendant of David just died. And that means we're not going to have a Messiah either. And if you think about it, this was the Good Friday of the Old Testament. This is where, the, where you, all your hopes, all your dreams were just absolutely crushed watching this happen. It looks like Baal has triumphed and Satan has won and God is nowhere in the picture. And for seven years, Judah lived under the rulership of a foreign queen worshiping a foreign god with all the evil that went with it. Darkness is now reigning. They know they're living in the twilight years of their once glorious kingdom. Athaliah, in some ways, was the COVID-19 of her day. Athaliah was how many of us feel right now in America in 2021. Some of us have lost our job. Some of us are depressed and frustrated, angry, irritated. We can't trust anything on TV, can't trust the news, can't trust the internet, can't trust everything. Everything just seems to be going in the wrong direction. 
If that's you today, you know how these people felt. The person in charge of their state, their nation, their entire lives have driven a stake through the heart of all of their hopes. But I've read the Word of God. And I know that this is where God is really, really good. He never, ever leaves His people in these conditions. Let's watch the story unfold. In Second Chronicles chapter 22, verse 10, it says, When Athaliah, as a highest mother, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to annihilate all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. Jehoshabeth, the king's daughter, rescued Joash, son of Azahiah, or Azai, from the king's sons who were being killed and put him and the one who nursed him in a bedroom. Now Jehoabeth was the daughter of King Jehoram and the wife of the priest Jedohiah. Since she was Azai's sister, she hid Joash from Athaliah so that she did not kill him. He was hiding with them in God's temple for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. 22, uh, 22 verse 1, or 23 verse 1. Then in the seventh year, Jedohiah summoned his courage and took the commanders of hundreds into covenant with him. They made a circuit throughout Judah. They gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah and the family heads of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. Then the whole assembly made a covenant with the king in God's temple. And Jedohiah said to them, Here is the king's son. Dropping down to verse 12. When Athaliah heard the noise from the troops, the guards, and those praising the kings, she sent the troops to the, in the Lord's temple. The commanders and the trumpeters were by the kings, and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets while the singer with musical instruments were leading the praise. Athaliah tore her clothes and screamed, Treason! Treason! Then the priest, Jedohiah, sent out the commanders of hundreds and those in charge of the army, saying, Take her out. So they arrested her. She went by the entrance of the horse gate to the king's palace, where they put her to death. I kind of like this story. Actually, I love this story because it seemed just when the forces of darkness seemed to be in control, when Satan was on his throne just laughing at God, that good was defeated, that he had overcome God's plan, God comes through. And what that shows us today is what seems what is and what actually is aren't always the same. You know, the God of the Bible, He's the God of good news. He's the God of the rescue. He's the God of living hope, the God of the second chance, and the God of the comeback. And with Him, there's always going to be a way out of the darkness. Dreams of the Messiah were dead to them, but then God brings them through to a resurrection. Remember what the song says, Sorrow may last through the night, but joy will come in the morning. Athaliah thought she had annihilated all those royal heirs. But seven years later, it was discovered that God had one boy hidden in a temple, ready to assume that uh, kingship within his time and wipe out the entire Baal-worshipping people 
Talk about rejoicing. Talk about a nation reborn. In verse 16 it says, And Jedohiah made a covenant between himself, the king, and the people, that they would be the Lord's people. Then all the people went to the temple of Baal and they tore it down. They smashed its altars and images and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, on his own altars. Then Jedohiah put the oversight of the Lord's temple into the hands of the Levitical priests whom David had appointed over the Lord's temple to burn sacrifice offerings to the Lord as it was written in the laws of Moses with rejoicing and song ordained by David. He stationed gatekeepers at the gates of the Lord's temple so that nothing unclean could enter it for any reason. Then he took with them the commanders of hundreds, the nobles, the governors of the people, and all the people of the land and brought the king down from the Lord's temple. They entered the king's palace through the upper gate and seated the king on the throne of the kingdom. All the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet. For they had put Athaliah to death by the sword. Isn't that awesome? God comes through. Even when we don't see it, he will always win. That's what Ezra is trying to teach us this morning. He's recounting Israel's history so we can learn lessons that we can apply during our time in history. And that explains the title of our message today, The Unseen War in Heaven. Ezra's letting us know that the war, even if it's raging here on earth, the real war is waging in the heavenlies. And that war is the real war. It's more real than the Iraq War, the Afghanistan War, War of Kuwait, Vietnam, Korea, World War II. That's where the real war is happening. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.12 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. This is why, if you're a Christian today, the Holy Spirit living within you, something just does not feel right. That's why you have that sense of unease, a sense of almost anxiety because you know there is something going on. You can't put your finger on it. You can't touch it. You can't explain it. You can't articulate it. But you know in your heart of hearts there is something going on in the heavenlies. What you're feeling just isn't about a virus. It's not about elections. It's not about injustice or quarantine. It's what is going on. It's a spiritually discerned thing that is going on right now. Ephesians 6.12 is followed by Ephesians 6.13 that says, For this reason, take up the full armor of God that you might be able to resist in the evil day. The armor of God, it's faith, it's hope, it's righteousness. It's the truth of salvation in God's Word and the Holy Spirit living within us. Stand firm in this. Stand firm in what He has already given you. Allow the Holy Spirit to put that armor back onto you right now. Trust God. Believe what He says. And then do what He says. Ezra is teaching us that God always has plans. 
And His plans are to build up, not to tear down. And Ezra is also teaching us that God always wins. Always wins. The Athaliahs in our world, you know, they may be in power for a while. They may rule over us for a while. But never forever. Remember what we said. Weeping may last for the night, but the joy comes in the morning. God is always working out things for His purpose and His glory and our good. The morning is coming, my friends. It is coming. Trust in that. That's the vertical lesson of our story. It explains the spiritual dimension of our condition and why it seems so much worse than it actually is. But there's also a horizontal teaching that we have to recognize here. Something that, that deals with our life here on earth. Thing that, second thing that Ezra is teaching us is that spiritual success is generally determined by the company you keep. Jehoshaphat endangered generations of, his, of those who followed him by building alliance with Baal worshippers. He didn't know he was doing it. He thought he was doing the right and logical decision. But he didn't realize the spiritual implications of what he did. And this may be why God spells it out as an extremely important principle for us in the American church. Maybe in some ways we haven't been always following this completely. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 14, he said, Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? It's another word for the devil. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what does agreement does a temple of God have with idols? What Paul is trying to teach us is be very, very careful who we allow into our sphere of influence. This, this speaks particularly to, man, to marriage, but it has to do with all things. Because when we unite with another person, we don't just marry a mind. We marry their beliefs. We, we marry their value system. You marry a family. And when Jehoram got Athaliah, he also got Jezebel and her Baal. She got the worship, or he got the worshiping priests and the evil that went with them. It's very important that we really guard our hearts during this time and, and, and keep those people who want to speak lies far away from us. That might mean political pundits, people on the radio, TV. It just, you have to guard your heart during this time and hear the Holy Spirit's voice. Because if we don't, we're going to follow Jehoshaphat who made a very horrible decision that almost led to the destruction of the messianic line. Let's all rise. You know, the story of Joash, the boy who was hidden in that temple, is one of my favorite in the entire Bible. 
because it shows that no matter what Satan plans for us, God always has something in the background. We don't even see it. We don't even know about it. We can't even acknowledge it. But we can trust that He has made a way. He will always make a way. He always has you in the center of His heart. The Bible says that He loves you so much He's written you on His hand. God will not allow you to go into that ultimate destruction as long as you keep trusting in Him, loving Him, following Him, and running after Him all the days of your life. Father, today, we ask that You search our hearts. Show us any alliances that we have made in our lives that don't please You. Friendships or secret relationships that we have that that are leading us away from You. Father God, I just ask for protection among my people today. I ask, Lord, that You help us to make wise decisions in who and what we listen to and who and what we allow to speak into our hearts. Let us lay down those things, whatever it is, so that we can hear Your voice more clearly. Father God, I thank You for Your people. I thank You for this church family. I ask, Father, that You continue to raise them up, that You continue to work in their lives, that You continue to use them to proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ in word and in deed. Father God, I bless them now, and I ask, Father, that You watch over them, that You fill their hearts and their minds. Let any lie from the enemy fall to the ground. Let them recognize it immediately. And let them be bold in speaking your truth to this world that desperately needs it. Father God, I thank you. I bless them and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.